welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, we're fully in the Christmas season, of course. Uh, last week, the young people did a phenomenal job in the youth takeover. Uh, if you haven't listened to the talks online, I recommend uh, you do so. Uh, but we're so grateful to all of the young people who led us in worship and helped us to laugh uh, this time last Sunday. And uh, so this Sunday and next, uh, we, we're looking at the theme of uh, dreaming of a right Christmas. And uh, we want to focus on how uh, we get our hearts right, but also how Christmas helps make the world right. And there's just no one I could think of who'd be better to talk on this subject. Many of you will uh, know Christian Guy. He's, uh, he and Bex are much-loved members of this church. Uh, Christian's a trustee of our charity. Uh, but uh, Christian has really spent all his adult life fighting injustice any way he can. Uh, first of all, at a local community level in uh, Leatherhead and around there. Uh, he was mentored by Jonathan Aitken. Uh, he um, became the CEO of the Center for Social Justice. He then became an advisor to David Cameron when he was uh, prime minister. I remember him one day saying, um, I've been asked to come up with all sorts of ideas about how we can fight poverty in this country. Would you mind coming to see me in the office? And so I found myself uh, sitting in number 10 Downing Street, having a little chat uh, to Christian. Uh, and Christian now uh, is the CEO of Justice and Care. And that means that he gets out of bed every morning working out how can we fight human trafficking, how can we prosecute uh, those who are uh, uh, trafficking uh, people, vulnerable people all around the world. And uh, he is uh, making a phenomenal difference with his life. I say all that not just to sort of big him up because, you know, it's important to have ears to hear. And sometimes someone can be speaking and we miss it. But this is someone who's not just doing a talk, but he, he cares deeply and passionately that our world would be fairer and the poor and the vulnerable would be championed. Uh, and uh, we, 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 we just love Christian and Bex dearly. So would you put your hands together, please, and welcome, where is he, Christian Guy. Thank you so much, Pete. You'll have to forgive me, I am uh, suffering from a near-fatal strain of man flu, um, which my wife calls minor sniffles. Uh, uh, I can feel solidarity with the men already who can't believe I'm pushing through at this very difficult time. Um, I nearly had a t-shirt with the word survivor printed on it, just to mark the occasion. Um, before I get onto that, I do want to just urge you to pray for this new government. Whether you feel sick as a parrot or whether you are on cloud nine, and most of us are probably somewhere in the middle, um, they need prayer. Not just the prime minister who needs prayer and wisdom and the new members of parliament who will be sitting there this weekend getting ready to go to London. Um, many of them in it for the right reasons, a combination of nervous and hopeful and excited and humble. We've got to pray for them, pray for the people who are going to be walking through government ministries and departments tomorrow as civil servants, 
doing their job, serving the new lot. And we've got to pray that also as a church, not just this one, but nationally, we respond. Because wouldn't it be exciting if this new government could call on our churches again, as they already are to some extent, as true partners in the call to change lives and bring transformation in this country. So pray for that too. We are hurtling towards another Christmas. And um, maybe we're a combination of counting our blessings, carrying burdens, and wanting to make a difference to those around us in the world at this time of year. We look back on a year, the successes, the hopes, the ground we've taken. But we're also probably conscious of the losses, the hurts, the instability we feel. I don't know what kind of Christmas you're expecting, whether you are feeling sad and scared at this time of year because it's the first Christmas without someone you love so much. Whether you are kind of getting into the brace position because you are expecting an incredibly difficult and busy time where you live in the kitchen and you feel you're running a hotel, not doing family. I'm preparing myself for the hourly trip to Sainsbury's, which takes place in the days before Christmas. Um, I'm going to buy a Radio Times, but I don't expect to touch it at all. Um, but it is a time of reflection, if we allow it to be. We're also hurtling towards the year 2020. This date that has felt permanently on the horizon. Futuristic. We are leaving one decade behind and another is opening up in front of us. Pretty remarkable that we are finally getting to 2020. And today, I just simply want to encourage you to let God in and to grasp these next few weeks with everything you have. Because God is urging us to look forward. He wants to speak into your life, my life, this Christmas, if we'll let him. To see the world a little bit more like the way he sees it. To love people a bit more like he loves them. To help us to plan and prioritize. You know, this time is so precious, and this, this sort of season that's all about him can so easily fly by without him if we're not careful, if we don't create the space. In the busyness, we've got to choose to open our lives up. And in that context, and in this series, Dreaming of a Right Christmas, we're reflecting on those today right on the margins of our society, hit by injustice, the very poorest, those who are struggling and broken this morning. And the importance of remembering at them at this time of year, and at frankly any time of year. This is our DNA at Emmaus. It is core to what we're doing. But frankly, most people of all faiths and none get that. You know, this is a time of year to think of those who don't have very much. Probably the least controversial thing you can say at this time of year. But for us as Christians... There is more to it. As we remember the birth of Jesus and all that it meant and all that it means today. So why does it matter? And how can we approach all of this in the next few weeks? That's what we want to look at this morning. Well, firstly, Christmas or not, we know the Bible is crystal clear about how God calls us to respond to those in poverty on the margins and in greatest need. The Bible is littered with calls to action on this. 
Now, we could spend the whole morning debating how you define poverty, who we're talking about, but actually, two passages came to mind as I was preparing for this morning, and I want to read through them now. The first is Isaiah 58, 6-9. I'm going to read from the message. It says, This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Ouch. Ouch isn't in there. That's just my... uh, Do this, although it is the message. Do this, and the lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. This is a clear, unequivocal poverty and justice manifesto from the Old Testament, pushing us forward. Imagine if we had heard for the last six to eight weeks political parties on the left and right putting this at the center of everything we want to do in this country. And then we read in the New Testament, Matthew 25, 34 to 40, a reinforcement of all of that, speaking into the time when we will have to account for our lives and what we've done. I want to read from Matthew 25, 34 to 40 as well. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It has been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here is why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you a drink? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Some of the Bible leaves us scratching our heads, looking for interpretation, trying to work out the difference between context and command, but this is open and shut. Simple stuff. Indisputable, non-negotiable, fighting poverty, serving the marginalized, meeting the needs of the broken. This is absolutely rock solid, foundational to our walk as followers of Jesus. And so fundamental is it that actually Paul calls it out as core business whenever and however we operate. I was looking at Galatians 2 the other day where Paul's writing about a pretty intense debate that was taking place at the time in the church between those who were arguing about you being saved through law and others through faith alone. And in the end, there's recognition between these different groups that some, like Peter, were called to the Jews and others, like Paul, to the Gentiles. But in the midst of it, there's a really fascinating line that I drew so much inspiration from, which I wanted to look at. It says, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Here's the key point. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I've been eager to do all along. So even when there's disagreement in the church, when there's division and debate, this is core business. Unity around poverty fighting in the midst of debate and disagreement. And actually, whether it's Christmas or not, 
But we do recognize that Christmas adds even greater emphasis and significance for the very poorest and brings this call to arms to attention in even clearer ways for several reasons. Well, Christmas is fundamentally good news for the poor, um, not just because we do our bit when the cold sets in, we feel guilty about the presence, we indulge ourselves, we want to give back, or we just want to avoid being Scrooge-esque. Those things are real pressures, they push us on. But actually, more than that, Christmas is a beam of bright light for the very poor because of what happened on that night. Jesus, the builder of everything, coming to us as a vulnerable, impoverished baby and a savior to a novice, homeless, shunned couple as the message of hope for a broken world and a marginalized people. He broke in through the vulnerable and marginalized for the vulnerable and marginalized. He personified all we read about in those scriptures. And it all started in the stable. And amidst all the relative comfort and hype we live in, it's easy to forget that Christmas was and is fundamentally a rescue story for all of us, because before he came along, we were all in greatest need. Now, the concept of rescue is something that has come to mean so much more to me in recent years than it ever had before. I, Pete mentioned I lead Justice and Care, and I've seen the power of rescue so often. And one of the things we help to do as an organization is to rescue women and children from human trafficking and modern slavery. And seeing these rescues, meeting the survivors who talk to me about moving from hell to hope, there's nothing else like it. People battered and bruised, drugged, exploited, given that second chance to sleep at night and live again. And that is what happened for us 2,000 years ago. That was the rescue for us, whether we recognized it enough or not. And even more powerful, perhaps, is when we realize that the rescued can become the rescuers. With this help, the rescued can go on to rescue others. And that is particularly why this Christmas story needs to inspire us out onto the margins again at this time of year. One of the things I love about Justice and Care is that some of the children we rescued years ago have, go on, have gone on to become world-class social workers on our teams, choosing to go back in to the places of exploitation to save others like them. There's a fire in them. There's a thirst for justice because of what they had experienced, the hope they've been given, and what they know that means for other people. I think of others. I think of uh, an alcoholic I knew who was read the last rites in hospital. She pulled through, and she's gone on to set up a network of rehabilitation centers, bringing hundreds of other people through alcoholism into recovery. You'll know others. And I just want to say, if you're sat there with hurts and burdens and pain from the past that you think counts you out. It's actually with restoration and recovery, the very thing God can use to make you even more potent out on the margins. With healing, it can be the thing that helps you to connect with people who need you because you've walked in their shoes. So good can come of it. Don't count yourself out if you're feeling worthless or that you can't contribute because often that is the thing that God can turn into the powerful, potent force for good. So in one sense, our job this Christmas is recognize that it's a catalyst, that we, as rescued people with his help, can go out 
and help to become rescuers. That's why Christmas can be good news for the poor, the marginalized, those hit by injustice. This baby born on the, in the back street of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, the greatest hope strategy the world ever saw. The gospel lives 365 days of the year, but it was all cast for us at Christmas. So we know this matters. We hear God's heart for the poorest and the marginalized. But how do we start to engage with that in the coming weeks? Well, first we've got to remember, it's not just about doing good. I love what John Peterson challenged us about recently during on Titus 3. He, he said there are two priorities when it comes to seeking transformation in our culture and serving the poorest. First, meeting basic needs. Serving, doing our, our practical thing. Everyone can do this, faith or no faith. It's compassionate. In various roles, I've seen remarkable people, hundreds of people in Downing Street, Parliament, Centre for Social Justice, projects around this country, now at Justice and Care, here, right here in Guildford with other charities, doing remarkable, restorative work, fighting for the forgotten, turning lives around. But if we're brutally honest, it's not necessarily Christian in itself. Many of the people I've met are actually sort of so anti-faith. They would make Richard Dawkins look like the sort of next Archbishop of Canterbury. But they're doing 100% good works. They're making a difference. And that challenges me so much because it's easy to hide behind the good works. And there are weeks when I worry, to be honest, if people watched me closely, they wouldn't even know I was a Christian at all. And when I feel that, the defense mechanism is often to just sort of plaster these billboards of good works in your brain well I'm doing that we're giving to this we're involved in that but if we're honest it's not enough so as we remember the poor and seek transformation this Christmas we've got to lean into that deeper calling as Christians moving beyond the good works that are strong but are not quite enough so look it's a time of year to reflect we see God's heart for the poor and the marginalized and the message of Christmas, and we sit on the cusp of this new decade. And I know so many people here are already doing this. Individuals, families, the church as a corporate body, the volunteers after a long day at the office, the people pouring their finances into justice work, the prayers, the people who've made this their calling, their career, the missionaries, local and far away. It's remarkable. This church, the lighthouse, the food bank, the beach trips, the school shoes, the pastoral care, the Christmas boxes is absolutely stunning. It's remarkable. But as we look around, we know there is so much more to do, so much more need. And I'm really excited at the moment because in talking to a number of you, I do know there is a stirring underway in some of you, in your hearts, and your brains. God, you feel, is calling you to this work in fresh ways. Again, as Paul put it, to remember the poor. So honestly, my question today isn't simply whether we'll go and do our bit this Christmas. We should do that. But it is actually something deeper. What might we do beyond Christmas? What's God saying to us about 2020 and beyond? Can we dare to dream that in 10 years we will look back on a decade of impact in the fight against poverty and justice, that we were called out to the margins, that we made a difference through him, that there'll be people sat with us who talk about tales of transformation. Because when we look at what's happening on our doorstep, 
and around the world. The stark inequality and injustice of it all, we know. We know there's more to do. And I do wonder if God's calling us out to those darker places, hand outstretched, going before us, beckoning him, beckoning us toward him again this Christmas for the sake of others. So yes, do your bit. Spread the love. Be kind. It's a great excuse. Do what you can as often as you can. But I just sense for a couple of groups of people here, maybe there is that bigger opportunity. Perhaps you are already in this justice fight, but you're flagging. You're tired as you fall into Christmas. Or maybe you know you've got to move beyond good works, that there's something else you're being called into. Or maybe there's a second group. Perhaps you've never really been in this justice fight before, but you feel something stirring. You sense the Lord speaking to you to do something different with your time, your money, your career, your home, as this new decade opens up. We can't rush these things, but uh, heading into Christmas, if anything's resonating or stirring in you, I just wanted to share a practical process that has helped me so much over the years as I've explored all of this work. And I hope and pray it might even help one person here today. There are three stages, and I just thought I'd unpack each of them briefly. If you feel called to explore all of this this Christmas, how about these three things? Consider, connect, and commit. Step one, consider. Snatch some time over Christmas if you feel that stirring. Pray, reflect. Spend time asking the Lord what it is he's putting on your heart again, or maybe for the first time this Christmas. This will not happen naturally at this busy time of year. You've got to carve out the time. You've got to be deliberate, but do it. And as we consider in that first stage, we've got to connect as well with what is happening around us locally. So as you consider, lean in to what's going on. And as we, I suppose, zoom out, we can actually see relatively things are getting better. We stand back and we see that we're all living longer. And somewhere like the UK, relatively speaking, we get better off every year. This is one of the wealthiest parts of the country to live, which means one of the wealthiest parts of the world. Some of us are desperate for work, but by and large, in the main, if we get to choose the jobs we're doing, we're in a tiny global elite. You know, work for most people is about survival. It's a deeply unstable and unpleasant process. The percentage of people, as we look around the world, in extreme poverty is plummeting. 40% of the world's population in 1990 lived in extreme poverty. It's less than 10% today. 10% is still too many. And 200 years ago, in 1820, it was 94% of the world's population in extreme poverty. Relative, it was a billion back then. It's 7 billion today. Quite a, quite a growth. Um, the number of children dying from preventable diseases plummeting again since 1990. Access to health care up. More children in education, especially girls than ever before. These are good things, but if we zoom in, it only reveals the stark divide that remains. We see the progress, but we see the pain on our streets. And as we consider whether this call is from the Lord, these are things we've got to look at. Groups of people broken away from the rest. You're dying in the shadows of multi-million pound buildings and complexes. Kids like yours and mine dying from illnesses that yours and mine get vaccines for within hours. Locally, 
homelessness applications, child poverty on the rise, food banks reporting being busier than ever, a number of communities higher up on the list of deprivation index, local police opening five anti-slavery investigations a week here in Surrey, 25,000 women and girls having experienced domestic abuse, 10,000 young people with mental health challenges, the list goes on and on. Further afield, just a few things to reflect on. More than 700 million people still living in extreme poverty on less than $1.90 a day. Half of them live in sub-Saharan Africa. 800 million chronically undernourished. 785 million lacking basic access to drinking water. 25 people every minute forced to flee their homes last year through war and conflict. 40 million trafficked. The list goes on. You know, in countries like Chad, more children dying every day than die in an entire year in countries like Finland. Our kids are going to look at us and ask what we were doing about these things. In 150 years' time, people are going to be absolutely flabbergasted that we lived with this inequality. I know it's all overwhelming. I know these are uncomfortable figures. I know it's sometimes easier to not stick the news on. But God sees every one of these people, and so can we. And we've got to remember that looking at issues like mental health and abuse and addiction, this doesn't just affect the very poorest. Our job is to bring hope and light in the kingdom to people, regardless of bank balance or material well-being. So don't count yourself out if you're not walking with the very poorest, because your mission field might be the school gates, the coffee machine at work, the boardroom. So this Christmas, make yourself available to listen. Be disturbed. Open yourselves up. It's counterintuitive, but it's vital, and I sense the Lord calling us into it. Write down what stirs you, what gets you angry about the state of the world. What's he putting on your heart? Where could you make a difference? Ask him for an injustice on your heart that you don't want your grandchildren or their grandchildren to inherit. And pray for a solution mindset. Because in, our, in the end, our faith is not about sitting here on Sunday mornings. It's about taking the light we have out to the darkest places. And if we forget that, we forget everything. So he'll speak into your lives if you create some space this Christmas. Step one, consider. Step two, connect. If you do sense something after that, nothing beats getting face-to-face -face and connecting with the issue. Find a way to get out to the darker places. Read up. Reach out to people involved in similar work doing things you admire. For me, it was just a couple of hours in a Brazilian slum with Tear Fund, smelling poverty, feeling it, seeing it, that changed the entire course of my career. I knew I had to find a way to fight for those families and those children. In my current job, nothing beats getting out into the field with one of my aftercare team, meeting survivors. I learned more doing that in a day than I would do in a whole year at my desk. When I sit with this older couple, I visit once a week. He has advanced dementia. He doesn't even recognize me anymore when I walk in. And she's just so isolated. And when she breaks down, again, my heart breaks for the lonely, again. It was Brian Ficker who said, poverty won't ever become history until it becomes personal. Get out, sense it, feel it, connect with it. That will fuel your heart and your fire. And connect, by the way, also means look for others on the journey. Emmaus is full of remarkable people doing this. Doing it with others is the way forward. 
Talk in your collectives. Reach out. Go and serve. And in my experience, that involves leaving your comfort zone. But the world is rarely changed by people in their comfort zones. God really rarely uses us when we are sat in our comfort zones. So second, connect. And thirdly, commit. And here we can take some Christmas inspiration from Joseph. Despite the fears, the uncertainty, the doubts, the criticism, he committed. And there always comes a point, to be honest, when you've got to dare to do something, to step out. And maybe start somewhere. Maybe it's an hour a week. Maybe it's a direct debit. Maybe it is a job application. But moving from that calling to commitment often starts with a small step. Where you start is rarely where you end up, but getting started is important. And when you commit, think long term. Ask him for that vision that is too big for one lifetime, too complex to solve on your own. Because what's needed in the face of these injustices, this Christmas or any other time of year, is perseverance, commitment, long-term thinking. I can't put a number on the number of promising leaders who I've seen get started and then fall away through disillusionment, setbacks. They come. But actually, it's how we're taken out so often. It's that disappointment that gets us. It's not the failure to get going. And there's actually often a greater prize for the enemy in a disillusioned and an angry leader, the one that never gets started at all. So that's why we need each other. That's the beauty of church. It's why Emmaus is so special. Because when it's done right, it recharges us, it equips us, it fires us up, and it sends us back out. And we're blessed to be someone like Emmaus. So let's make the most of it. Step three, find a way to commit. So yes, look, do your bit this Christmas. I want to encourage you out. Make a difference. Spread the love. Be kind. Look for people whose lives you can improve this Christmas. But I also sense God is speaking to us as a church and may have been stirring you up for some time. If you're flagging, lean into him. If you feel there's something new for you, lean into him. Because wouldn't it be immense in 10 years' time, as the 2020s come to a close, if we could be sat here and look back and say we had skin in the game, we went to the darkest places, we stepped out of our comfort zones, we took the gospel to the people who needed it most, and that there'll be people sat with us who say, I'm here, and Emmaus is a home because of people who dared to step out. And that there'll be more people struggling around the world who were struggling, who are now Free brothers and sisters who tell tales of total transformation. This Christmas can be a catalyst if you let him in. So stop, listen, reflect. There's a prize out there. He's calling us out again to the margins. Have a really Merry Christmas. Brilliant, brilliant, Christian. Thank you.